Six Women and the Invasion by Gabrielle and Marguerite Yerta. Chapter 6 Morning, being near to the battlefield, we naturally saw many soldiers. The village sheltered four convoys at a time within its walls. Officers and non-commissioned officers were billeted on the inhabitants, and we had to bear our share of the common misfortune. And thus, Barbu and Crafleur fell to our lot. Barbu and Crafleur were two Prussian officers, escaped from a toy shop, and carefully wound up before they were let loose from Germany. They always arrived, side by side with the same automatic stride, the one tall, thin, and bearded, the other short, stout, and crafleur. I must explain that crafleur, in the popular speech of Léon, means a misbegotten, rickety creature. The name was not well chosen, for the man was a solid, though ugly, but his round, clean-shaven face his pig's eyes sunk deep behind white lashes, well earned him the nickname. And Barbu himself was no Adonis. He had a small head with regular features, a pointed beard, an orified smile, cheeks seamed with scars. His style of beauty is not that which I commend, but what matters the want of good looks. Barbu and Crafleur revealed to us beautiful souls. They were two model Prussians. One morning, then, the village constable brought in a smart sergeant, who seemed to have been taken out of a bandbox. All bows and smiles, the young man asked for rooms, and we dared not refuse him. The contest with Herr Mayor had been a warning to us. This will do, he said, entering Genevieve's room, and this passing on to Yvonne and Colette's. He withdrew, still with a smile on his face, giving us full liberty to prepare the rooms and to rail as we chose. Alas, groaned Genevieve, never again shall I like my room after I have seen a Prussian lull in my bed. To begin with, I said, you won't see him, and secondly, I have a just and clear conception of a Prussian's method of repose, he stretches himself out as if he were on duty, and his head on the pillow is carefully adorned with a helmet. He is just as proper to look upon as his photograph would be, taken after a review. We hung tasteless chromolithographs in the place of pretty watercolours. We took away all the books, the knick-knacks and the papers. Here and there Colette pinned up peacock's feathers. To bring them ill luck, she said. Then both rooms waited with a grim air for the unwelcome guests. Presently the orderlies came in, brought heaps of baggage, got everything ready for their masters and withdrew. An indistinct curiosity prompted us to take an inventory of the riches deposited with us. Yvonne and Colette spat like two angry cats. Look, here! Isn't it a shame for a single man, two boxes, five bags, portmanteau? Well, if he wants so much to go and fight. Crafleur was more modest, but Barbu had certainly imported a whole dressing room from Germany. The day after his arrival, he showed off heaps of small brushes in small boxes, small creams in small pots, 
small scents in small bottles, and photographs and photographic apparatus, electric lamps and refills for these lamps, sporting guns and India rubber cushions, soft blankets and uniforms without number. But he was chiefly remarkable for his defrogged pyjamas of sky blue or Chinese flesh colour. The sight of him must have been affecting when he had on his helmet by way of nightcap. So Barbu and Cruffler installed themselves downstairs, and we upstairs. Yvonne settled down in a tiny attic, and Colette slept on a couch in Antoinette's room. I gave Genevieve a share of my own bed in the room which already sheltered the youthful Pierrot. We were not very comfortable, and what was worse, we suffered from the cold. This requires an explanation. Some time ago, a direful rumour had spread about. They have requisitioned a great number of mattresses in Vivais. Now Vivais is a village not far from Morny. You may be sure they will do the same here, said the well-informed. And so, in all houses, the beds were only half as high as before. And he was cunning indeed who could say what had become of the missing part. We, for instance, have plenty of mattresses, large, soft, elastic mattresses, which would make you wish to be ill and keep your bed. And should the enemy of France rest upon them? That shall never be, we declared, by the unanimous exertion of the whole family, climbing, pulling, pushing, toiling, we succeeded in hoisting up most of these useful objects and hiding them in the loft under the roof. Every bed was left with one only. When Barbu and Cruffler intruded themselves into the house, we were hard put to it. One of us made shift with a pallias, while Genevieve and I slept on a hair mattress. This plan is not to be recommended, unless you choose to mortify your flesh or to copy the fakirs of India. We could have put up with our uncomfortable bedding if, to add to our misfortune, the cold had not seized upon us. Our present guests laid their hands upon heaps of blankets their predecessors had stolen too, and so we had just enough and nothing to spare. We went to sleep as straight as arrows, one on each side of the bed. We woke up in the morning twisted into knots, one against the other, like two shivering cats. Despair drove Yvonne from one extreme to the other. Either she lay half smothered with heat under an enormous eiderdown, or benumbed with cold under a thin cotton blanket. The authors of our hardships tasted the honeydew of sleep upon beds of down. They knew not that threatening fists were shaken at them upstairs, and that bitter invectives vowed them to execration. Yet I think that when logs unexpectedly tumbled down and pieces of furniture joined the dance, they gave a start and felt uneasy, but on the whole, as quiet as there, there, at the Vicentandines, they led a happy life, got up between nine and ten, saw about their convoy, fared well at the village inn, often went shooting, or, if they had a mind, drove out to Léon, came back home to rest a while and dress for dinner, and then about ten, eleven, or midnight, got back into their rooms and their comfortable beds. I hinted that war conducted in this fashion was not disagreeable. Barbu knew that I was laughing at them. 
but our comrades who are fighting do not lead such a pleasant life i am sure of it and i think french convoys take their ease too well i hope so but really barboo it was only right that you should live in comfort for none knew better than how to appreciate it one day going in to return a newspaper he had lent me i surprised this lover of comforts seated in an armchair his feet on the fender his head resting on a cushion his back on another a book in his hand a lamp behind him he looked a perfect picture of self-satisfaction but such delights cannot last for ever the present convoys are going to the front some people said do you hear barboo you will go to the front you will change your carpet for the mud of the trenches your pleasant fire for an icy fog the studious light of your lamp for the red glare of the shells you will go to the front they did not go to the front they were to pass one or two nights in our house and they stayed a month the village groaned under the rain of the invaders every morning the housewives on their way to the baker poured out their complaints have yours decent manners oh mine are very hard to please and the gossip began to tell their grievances for many of these undesirable guests were in truth very hard to please and their manners were detestable they wiped their filthy boots on the beds and armchairs deluged the carpets and floors with water they burnt the furniture and linen with their cigars they came back very late at night generally tipsy went to the kitchen searched the larder and sideboard and cooked an extra meal with the stolen goods the mistress of the house deemed herself very happy when she was not aroused from a well-earned sleep and ordered to go and rattle about saucepans and kitchen ranges. Of course, Barbu and Crafleur would have repudiated such methods with disgust. Barbu and Crafleur piqued themselves on their gentlemanly manners. Barbu and Crafleur were two model Prussians. For truth's sake, I must admit that occasionally they came home after midnight, amiably drunk, and, I am a credible witness, danced a jig in the yard. But these are venial sins, and our watchdogs themselves, who from the first day had been hand in glove with the officers, looked indulgently upon such gambles. Gracieuse was even accused of cherishing a guilty passion for Crafleur, having once been discovered curled into a ball upon the bed of the gentleman aforesaid, a most improper act for a lady dog brought up never to enter the house. Another fault was ascribed to Barbu. On the officer's arrival, we had held a secret meeting to discuss the question of lights at length we decided to give one candle to each man having laid by a box in case of emergency the next morning we discovered a scandal unheard of barboo his candle a virgin candle a white shapely candle the criminal had burnt it up in a single night a huge candle which in the present state of things was worth its weight in gold 
a few waxen tears still hanging to the socket bore witness to the poor thing's death we put in its stead a dumpy one whose loss we should not feel so deeply and after that he must provide others for himself he must provide his firing also as a matter of fact he did one day the officers demanded fires in their rooms very well the charwoman will look after it but fuel runs short Babu wrote at once a note of hand gave it to the smart bustling sergeant and the day after ten sacks of coal were brought and discharged in the coach-house we gazed at the black heap with envious eyes for we used to do our cooking and warm our rooms with a poor faggot of wood the officers very well knew that we lacked all kinds of stores and babu asked me once in a roundabout way if they might offer us some petroleum and sugar we have just received an abundant supply he said and shall be enchanted if you will make use of them this was a war this was worthy of reflection we answered at last that we would gratefully take their proffered goods on condition that we might pay for them my sisters-in-law made a great outcry against this proposal never said they will we receive presents from prussians gently i replied to begin with we pay in cash for their presence then our hospitality forced as it is is worthy of some recompense and indeed it is ridiculous to speak of their merchandise is it not stolen goods does it not come from our bonded warehouses and stores besides is it not a good deed to help in exhausting their provisions so petroleum and sugar flanked with coffee and rice reappeared in the house and were highly appreciated by all in spite of their teutonic origin but when the officers carried kindness so far as to offer us a hair of their own shooting they embarrassed us sorely though we were not tempted to accept the gift we thought a denial would offend our dangerous guests we have too many babu said artlessly yesterday we have shot a roebuck seven hares and twelve partridges in the woods of bussy in our own wood very well we accepted the hare it will not pay for the rent of the shooting so we feasted upon jugged hare and found the very french flavour much to our taste babu and crafler were two model prussians i do not unsay it i even think i have proved it but a prussian is always a prussian and the best of the brood will never understand certain things is your piano dumb asked babu one day a few dances might have cheered up the house he thought and the roar of the guns and the clatter of german feet in the street would have been the best possible accompaniment another day this same babu to tell the truth he talked to me with his pipe in his mouth but you cannot expect much from men brought up in heidelberg this same babu asked me if i would not go for a drive to leon with him and some fellow officers it will be a good opportunity for shopping he said no the other ladies will not either last week i dared not ask you our carriage was too modest 
but today we have one of the Prince of Monaco's coaches. Babu still wonders why we refused. Then something still better happened. When the officers had settled themselves in our house, we made up our minds that the Germans should not catch sight of us in the passage, and the order was given. Disappear, and the Germans never saw the pretty faces which swarmed about us. But since I am a married woman and proficient in German, my mother-in-law does not understand a word of it, I had been appointed spokeswoman to the officers in case of need. But one day I suppose the intruders caught sight of a golden head in flight, and Babu asked me, There are young girls in the house? Yes, my four sisters-in-law. Really, we had not the least idea of it. The next day I happened to go into the drawing-room. The blinds were down, and the door was open into the passage. An unaccustomed object was lying on the table. Bless me, it was a box of chocolates. Delicious sweets, no doubt of it. And on the cover, Babu had written in his neatest hand and best French, Sacrifice to the Invisible Spirits. Everyone came and contemplated the gift and the autograph with laughter. Then we allowed the poor chocolates to get damp in the dimly lighted room. They disappeared three weeks after, as mysteriously as they had come. The day of our Prussians' departure, may they lie lightly on Barbu's stomach. At last the convoy left Morny. On the morning on which they were to start, Babu plunged us into an ocean of perplexities by asking us, You do not mind my taking a few snapshots of your house, do you? Certainly not, sir. I should be very happy if one or two of the young ladies consented to sit at a window. And nobody had prompted him in that. In vain I objected that the hour was early and that my sisters-in-law got up very late. Oh, it does not matter, said he. We will wait for them. Ask the ladies to get ready, and we will come back in half an hour. Think how nice it would be in a year or two in Berlin, or Leipzig, or Heidelberg, to show a few photographs. Here are a few souvenirs of our victorious stay in France. In that house, we led a very happy life. The young ladies whom you see were reluctant hostesses, but the French, breathing revenge, were obliged to welcome us. The whole family was in a fury of anger. Of course it is out of the question to comply with all the wishes of these wretched Prussians. Two days before, Babu had invited his brothers-in-arms to dinner. Upon this occasion, he asked us for a tablecloth, a large tablecloth. We took out of its dark hiding place a damask cloth and eighteen napkins. Is that what you want, sir? We wish vases also. Will these do? And we desire flowers. Take some asters from the garden. And then, may I take a photograph of your house? Sir, I cannot prevent you. Will you put a smiling face at the window? No, no, a truce to jesting. Give him a flat denial. But how? On taking leave, the Germans would certainly try to shake hands with us. That is their way. 
and we were determined not to shake theirs. Would they take it amiss? More than once, it had proved hazardous to irritate these dangerous guests. Madame Valbeau in Lierval saw her house plundered. Why, she had refused to sew on a button for the officer who lodged in her house. Old Vadois, the confectioner in Léon, was listening to the tales of his Prussian. The people are not kind enough to the soldiers, the officer said. The French are better received in Alsace-Lorraine than we are. So the French are in Alsace-Lorraine, the old man cried out with a blissful look. Soldiers, take this man into custody. He speaks ill of the Germans, roared the officer, and they threw the poor wretch into a dungeon where he slept on straw. Our neighbour, Polinchard, who is something of a simpleton, was pruning his pear trees one day when he saw his enforced boarders making fruitless endeavours to open a fastened door. Not through this one, he cried, waving them back with a motion of his pruning knife and pointing to the usual entrance. What now? cried the soldiers. He threatens us. He threatens Germans. Away with him to prison. The culprit was condemned to two months. That is why, on reflection, we hesitated to offend Barbu and Crafleur. They had been kind, well-behaved men, certainly, but in the village they were looked upon as haughty, violent, and hard-hearted. What will Barbu say, we wondered, if, when he holds out his large paws, we put our hands behind our backs? Will he send us to prison and put us on bread and water? Will he fasten us to the stirrups of his horse and drag us to Léon, all six in a line? Or will he give some such order as this to the commandant of the village? Should an opportunity come, billet fifty men on these people. A pleasant prospect. The moment was critical. I made up my mind to brazen it out. There is always, I had quite forgotten this, a cord, or rather a cable, in all German hearts. And this cord or cable is sentiment. Let us then proceed by sentiment. I advance. My countenance is that of an angel. My eyes are full of melancholy. My voice is honey-sweet. My hair, no, it is not dishevelled, or at least only morally dishevelled. I began to talk. Of course, my mother-in-law had no objection to their taking photographs of the house, but they would permit us not to appear at the windows. The gentlemen would understand our feelings. They were men of heart and intelligence. They had been very kind to us, and we were very grateful to them. But I became animated but we are at war with you. We cannot help seeing in you the invaders of our country. And I am sure you are aware that certain things are painful to us. You know how hard it would be to your wives and sisters to receive strangers. You cannot wonder at our dealings with you as with adversaries. And I must tell you that every time I see you, I think with an inward thrill of terror, this man may kill my husband. I had done. I wept with emotion. Crafleur was gazing at his boots with a shake of his head. 
tears stood in Babu's eyes, and through this sentimental haze he saw his wife receiving French soldiers. As to myself, I felt I would soon have to blow my nose. My mother-in-law beheld the scene in silence, waiting to know the effect of my harangue. It proved effectual. Madam, believe me, we understand and respect your feelings. We have now only to thank you for your hospitality, and to assure you we shall always remember it. They bowed themselves out of the room, bowed again from the threshold, bowed again in the yard. We heard the gate close behind them, a silence while they took a few snapshots, and then the rolling away of their carriage. They were gone, gone forever, and no hindrances had stood in the way. They had gone, leaving behind six sacks of coal. They had gone, even leaving a letter of recommendation for the officers who would take their place. God forbid I shall ever revile the memory of Barbu and Crafleur. End of chapter 6